Welcome to The Edge Conversations, a podcast series produced by the Institute for Molecular Bioscience at the University of Queensland. Each episode is a deep dive into the often lifelong journeys and struggles of people with infection, pain, and other chronic illnesses, as well as the people who research them. The Edge Conversations, personal and inspiring stories fueling IMB's pursuit of cutting-edge research. Today we are talking to Professor Rob Capon, a renowned natural products chemist and research leader at IMB for over 20 years. There aren't many places that Rob's research hasn't taken him. As a self-confessed microbial crusader, Rob finds the potential to cure disease in some of the most unlikely of places. This episode is a story of finding cures in ecosystems around us and the soil in our backyards. Thank you so much for joining us today, Rob. It's really fantastic to have you on the podcast. Not a problem. I'm enjoying it. Excellent. Let's get straight into it because we have got a lot to talk about today. So, Rob, your research has taken you all over the world, literally making you the Indiana Jones of the IMB. Could you give us an overview of what it is you do at IMB and the places you have collected specimens? So I'm a chemist, an organic chemist, and we look at the world around us as a source of molecules. These molecules are produced by all sorts of living organisms that abound in different habitats. Um, they can be microbes like bacteria and fungi. They could be sponges living in the ocean and seaweeds. These organisms produce very valuable molecules that can be repurposed uh, into new products. So in the search for these uh, um, wonder molecules, um, my, my uh, personal experience has been I've, I've travelled the world, I've, I've lived in different countries, I've been as far south as Antarctica, I've been to Pacific Islands, I've been diving in the Gulf of Mexico, um, uh, travelled through most of Europe, of course, and most of North America. Um, but of course, my primary focus is on the biodiversity of Australia. So for the last 30 to 40 years, we've been busy studying the marine organisms of southern Australian close, as well as the microbes that abound across the entire continent. So, Rob, in terms of your area of study and research, there has been one big game changer. And what has that meant in terms of drug development and drug research globally? So to answer that question, you need to step back in time and appreciate where we came from. So around the 1930s, uh, there was a remarkable discovery, serendipitous discovery of an antibiotic, which we all know and perhaps have all taken, which is penicillin. That led us to have all of the, pretty much all the antibiotics that we know of today, the penicillins, the erythromycins, the streptomycins, and many more. It also led us to have antiparasitic agents, the statin drugs for reducing cholesterol levels, um, uh, anti-cancer drugs, so many molecules that have changed the quality of life on the planet. By, by around about the 1980s, 1990s, the pharmaceutical and agrochemical industries had hit a wall, had hit a barrier. They had found so many really exciting molecules from microorganisms that they kept finding them over and over again. 
They were the victims of their own success. The technology that they'd used for 50 years was now cycling back on themselves. As a consequence, and, and falsely imagining that the resource had run dry, they abandoned uh, the search for new future medicines from microbes largely, and they moved on to other areas for inspiration. Track forward to where we are today, um, some 30 years later, and sadly, those same companies are still looking for inspiration. However, what has changed is that in the meantime, it's post 2000, a whole new field of science emerged as genomic sequencing became more and more routine. So now when we look at a microorganism, we don't necessarily look at it from a historic morphology or how it looks taxonomic perspective. You know, you classify a microbe by um, how colourful it is or how it grows on a Petri dish. Today, you do the full genome. You look at every single base pair in its, in its genetic makeup. You can analyse it in such fine detail that you can see within the genome the regions that code for every new class of molecule. So this obviously is a massive game changer in that the whole world of drug development because all of a sudden where drugs came from came from traditionally is is different it's not so much about well as you say what happens in the petri dish but it happens in those moments of when that molecule lets you see its functionality basically am i right so so there were there were two there, there were a few really key elements to that ability to look inside the genetic code of a microbe. The first one was to recognise that they could do far more than we ever thought before. So the resource was not exhausted. Far from exhausted, we could actually look at the sequencing material and see that it was huge. Infinite almost. The second one is that we can um, have a look at that genetic material in a way where we can interpret it and we can recognise the molecules that it potentially makes from the genetic material itself. This allows us to predict the type of chemistry that we can get our hands on. And in addition to that, we can learn tricks to turn that chemistry on. So we can either do genetic manipulation to turn on those silent genes, or we can at a simplest level, just grow the microorganism in the presence of a chemical cue that serves as the molecular trigger to turn on the defensive response. So these microorganisms live in everything around us, and your job is to set about collecting them and find out how they behave under certain conditions and what their hidden secrets are. What's been one of your more surprising discoveries? Perhaps one of the, the most enjoyable projects that we had over the years was um, when a visiting student from uh, Brazil came and joined my lab and I asked her to go to the local fish market and come back with some fresh fish that hadn't been frozen so we could have a look at the type of microbes that were living in the gastrointestinal tract, in the stomach, in the gut uh, of the fish. So she came back with uh, three fish. These were mullet. Um, it was the very cheapest field exercise we'd ever been through. Normally, it costs a lot of money in airfares and accommodation and everything else. This was a $10 uh, purchase at the local fish market. Well, those fish were, were a virtual treasure trove of fungi. 
Uh, we isolated, or she isolated, um, well over six or 700 different fungal strains. We then looked at those at a chemical level and we reduced them down to 500 unique um, fungal um, isolates that were there. Uh, and that small library of 500 uh, microbes has been looked at by numerous students and staff in my group over the years and will continue to be looked at uh, going forward. Uh, just some of the microbes uh, in there uh, have, that we've studied, we've only looked at maybe 20 out of 500, so there's a lot more to go, uh, have delivered some remarkable chemistry. So one particular example was a fungus that produced molecules that in our lab, we solved their molecular structure. They were very interesting, good basic science, and we screened them for their biological properties. They were not antibacterial, unfortunately. They were not antifungal, okay? Uh, they were not cytotoxic, so they couldn't be used for anti-cancer agents. But remarkably, they inhibited what's called an efflux pump. So many cells or most cells have a internal garbage disposal. It's a protein that is embedded in the cell membrane. And when there are things in the cell that are produced that are waste, this acts as a pump. It sucks them up and it spits them into the outside environment and it keeps the inside of the cell nice and clean. Whenever you expose a cell, whether it's a pathogen such as a bacteria or a cancer cell, uh, to a drug, the drug usually absorbs into the cell and when it's inside, it binds with some receptor or other, causing disruption and killing the pathogen or killing the cancer cell. The ways that um, uh, many pathogens and cancers uh, develop a resistance to these drugs is to overexpress, to upregulate it or to make many, many more copies of this pump, this efflux pump. So now the cell wall is absolutely jam-packed with garbage disposals with these pumps. So as soon as the drug gets into the cell, within a short time, it's pumped straight back out again. And because it doesn't spend enough time in the cell, it's effectively rendered useless. So this is why we have multi-drug resistant, multi-drug resistant pathogens, and it's uh, such as bacteria and fungi. It's also why we have cancers that are resistant to cancer chemotherapeutics. And what's scary about these pumps is that they don't just pump out one drug. They often pump out all drugs. So a, a bacterial pathogen that has developed an upregulated efflux pump defense is not only resistant to penicillin, for example, but these um, fungi isolated from the guts of a fish purchased in the local fish market produced molecules that are amongst the most potent inhibitors of these pumps. And so for us, this was a sort of a eureka moment. And that is what would get you up in the morning. And the fact that we found it and we weren't looking for it makes it all the more fun. Oh, that is the sweet spot of science, is it not? It is. Bearing all of that in mind and realising that there is fungi gold and bacteria gold living all over the world, you are inspiring uh, everyday people to become their own backyard scientific crusader. Tell us about your citizen science program and why is citizen science important to us? 
So the program that we launched is called Soils for Science. And the goal here is to um, bring the public, bring citizen scientists along on the discovery journey by allowing them to share with us a half a cup full of dirt from their backyard. When we receive those soil samples, we culture the microorganisms that live in them, and we study the chemistry of those microorganisms. And in particular, we're searching for new antibiotics, but we're not restricted to that. We'll also find other life-saving drugs and important agrochemicals as well. So why is soils, why is citizen science important? Well, I think it's important for a couple of reasons. Number one, science shouldn't be seen to be sitting in a university or a company in isolation. The more we can engage with the public and explain to them why we do what we do, the more likely it is that they will be supportive of the need to do that research. And at the end of the day, um, in an academic setting at least, um, it is um, grant funds and the public purse that supports our research activities. So we need to share the excitement and bring the public along on the journey. There's also an opportunity to inspire future generations of, of um, uh, scientists, uh, whether they turn out to be chemists like myself or they go into different branches of biology or computer science or whatever. There's kudos for people to be the source of the future medicines of the world. Uh, and there's an opportunity to come along and join the journey. And what an incredible journey it has been to date for you and uh, your research, Rob. I would like to thank you very much for your time today. Uh, it's, been, it's been a pleasure. Um, and uh, when you get a scientist talking about the things that they love, hard to stop them sometimes. Thanks for listening to The Edge Conversations. For more information on the Institute for Molecular Bioscience at the University of Queensland, visit their website, imb.uq.edu.au.